And now I start with a serious subject. <laughs> um, actually, even from a libertarian point of view, uh, my teacher and mentor, Murray Rothbard, always said, yes, we have thousands of issues. But the most important issue is peace and war uh, that overrides everything else. Um, that is life and death. All the other ones you can somehow deal with. Um, and I will, because of that, start talking about the war in the Ukraine in libertarian perspective. There are obviously other perspectives, but I think these other perspectives are wrong perspectives. Again, that is all satire, of course. Um, my speech here last year in Bodrum was on Germany and also touched on Germany's role in the ongoing war between Russia and the Ukraine, or actually we have to say the war between Russia on the one hand and the United States as a boss of NATO and its various European vassal states. And in particular, of course, Germany and the Ukraine on, and the Ukrainians on the other hand, the U Ukraine being, so to speak, the proxy of the United States, um, using the Ukraine as a dispensable tool, as the useful idiots. Uh, and uh, this war or this speech has not gone over too well with supposedly libertarian folks from formerly East Bloc countries. Um, we had always plenty of people from Poland and uh, the Baltic, Baltic countries uh, at this conference, and uh, it is disappointing that they decided not to come back. Maybe they come back next time again, I do not know. Um, we have very few now, actually only two people who come from the, from the former East, uh, Eastern uh, Soviet-dominated countries. Um, but I do not regret at all what I said last year on the subject um, or find any serious fault with my analysis that I presented there. To the contrary, if anything, Later events, in particular the destruction of North Stream, uh, the, the North Stream pipeline um, by the United States or anybody in close cooperation with the United States um, has, of course, strengthened my conviction that what I said last time was by and large um, Correct. You remember that nobody seems to be investigating this North Stream, uh, the North Stream pipeline uh, in, in great detail. They even try to blame the Russians, even though every normal uh, amateur detective would say, who has a motive to do this sort of thing? What motive could the Russians possibly have to blow up uh, the, the pipe, this, this pipe? that they also could have turned off at any time in order to have more negotiable, not more negotiating room uh, instead of blowing it up. So in my view, that seems to be perfectly clear. Either the United States or somebody in close cooperation with the United States did this sort of thing. Um, but nobody in Western Europe seems to seriously pursue an investigation into this matter, which was a matter of the biggest industrial terrorism that has ever occurred in the post-World War II era in, in, in the European uh, scenery. And the other thing that came out in the meantime were speeches by Merkel and by Hollande, by Macron and Zelensky, that the Minsk agreement that had been negotiated between Russia, Ukraine, uh, Germany and France some other countries that provided some sort of solution to the conflict between Russia and Ukraine 
by granting autonomy to some of the western pro of some of the eastern provinces in the Ukraine that the Minsk agreement had not meant had not been meant seriously by Merkel and all of her followers um, but was only planned in order to give the Ukraine more time in order to be weaponized, armed to the hilt, and prepare for a war against Russia. They admitted this sort of thing. The somewhat indignant reaction by the typical Eastern European, but also by many Western European libertarians, of my speech on the topic presented here in last year, it has, in my view, little, if anything, to do with erroneous explanations or faulty analysis of the horrifying events still going on before our very eyes in the Ukraine then, but it is owed instead to their very own superficial or fake understanding of libertarianism and the requirement of libertarian or generally revisionist historical research, judgment, evaluation. evaluation. In fact, it is a result of nationalist, collectivist and statist sentiments overtaking and trumping all calm and sober libertarian thought and analysis in the face of war. But maybe, and I think I'm pretty sure that it is that way, states resort to war precisely for that reason. That is, that people tend to lose their mind in war times. Now, the claims made by my various critics that I just don't sufficiently know Putin or the Russians or the Ukrainians or the Poles or the Lithuanians even the Germans and the Americans and their various particular history typically appears little more than regurgitations of some official national or nationalistic and invariably status school book history and historical narratives as it is taught and promoted everywhere at all times and in all countries. In all countries, history is written by some specific people. I only late in my life discovered, for instance, that after World War II, every school textbook that was used in, in German schools had to be okayed by the um, occupying forces, the Americans and the British. And of course, there was no way that there would be a history reported in these official textbooks that was not in line with what the Americans thought the whole thing was all about. Uh, and I think this is basically the case in every single country. There are, of course, in every single country, revisionist historians, historians who have different views, but they don't write the textbooks that are used in schools. In schools you learn your official history and the official history in Germany was the official history as told by the American victors. Every German school book had to be licensed. Every newspaper was allowed to reopen after World War II, had to be licensed by the Americans. Um, so this type of history, you get them sometimes, you hear them from, from my, from my uh, critics. Uh, children, children's history about their own, their own country. Um, some of these people even accused me of insufficient understanding of the Soviet system and the history of the former Soviet Union, notwithstanding the fact that I have actually extensively written on this very subject and the horrors of socialism. And on a more personal note, my motherly grandparents were expropriated by the Soviets in 1946 because they were major landowners. Um, and my grandfather was killed by them in a forced labor camp. So you can imagine that there was not exactly uh, uh, a love parade in our family pro-Russia or something like this. Now, that being said, what then was the central thesis of my speech that I gave last year? And why and in, in what regard does 
the rejection of my analysis by many supposed or presumed libertarians, especially from Eastern Europe, indicate a deficient understanding of libertarian principles on their part. Now, first and foremost, states are not productive enterprises. Rather, states are criminal gangs, protection rackets, or mafias writ large, taxing or otherwise ripping off productive people to their own advantage and the advantage of their members, friends, and supporters. And states have to be recognized as that. And with a fundamental understanding, with this fundamental understanding of the nature of states, uh, which is, of course, a sobering insight, if you have this sobering insight under your belt, much mental fog and confusion is cleared up immediately. Gang wars, then, wars between states, typically involving some territorial issues, are always wars conducted by rival gang leaders with other people's money, machines, and manpower. Just think of taxation and compulsory conscription. The cost of war, whether conducted in an offensive or in a defensive mode, then is socialized. Other people pay the cost of war, while the prospective gains are privatized. Um, and that, of course, makes war more likely. Private people have to pay, the, well, come up for, with the cost of war of fighting other people out of their own resources. States go to war because they have other people funding them, making war far more likely than any private conflict is ever. And this makes them not only more likely, but it makes them also more lengthy, of course. Now, in a nutshell, the scenario currently unfolding in the Ukraine is this. There is a Zelensky gang that has deliberately and continually provoked the much bigger next-door Putin gang. And it has been actively encouraged and supported in its provocations by the leaders of the world's biggest, if far away, gang, that is, the US gang, the Biden gang, assisted, of course, by its NATO vessels and the associated gang leaders in Europe. And all of them, the United States in particular, and of course the European allies, um, they view the Russians, the Putin gang, as the enemy, as one of the only two remaining stumbling blocks on the way toward global hegemony and world domination, as its very own explicitly and repeatedly stated ultimate goal. I should emphasize this. The Americans, the leadership of the United States, uh, especially the so-called neocons, have as admit, admitted it as their explicit goal. That it is their goal to create some sort of world government and a world central bank with the US dollar as a world-dominating reserve currency. That is their explicitly stated goal. At some point then, in February 2022, the Putin gang did what it had repeatedly warned it would do if Zelensky and his gang were to continue with certain explicitly stated provocations. There were killings going on in eastern Ukraine by uh, western Ukrainians who opposed the Russian-speaking eastern provinces from trying to reach some status of autonomy. Um, the Zelensky gang, propped up by the mighty but far away Biden gang, defied these warnings, and the Putin gang consequently invaded and occupied territories previously controlled and claimed as its own turf by the Zelensky gang. Now, standing alone, based solely on their own relative powers and resources in terms of population size, 
military strength and economic wherewithal, the Putin gang would have quickly, long ago, defeated the Zelensky gang and installed another Putin gang-friendly associate gang leadership in the Ukraine. That was the status that existed before, too. There were some, some gang leaders in the Ukraine that tried to be somewhat neutral, also showed a certain friendliness to Russia. After all, Russia was their mighty neighbor. Um, Zelensky um, and, the, and in installing another uh, Putin-friendly gang would not have been a big deal, I, uh, I assume. That the war still drags on instead and has in the meantime cost hundreds of thousands of lives, millions of refugees, and mass destruction. All of this is solely the result of the massive financial, logistic, and military aid continuing to flow to Zelensky and his gang from the Biden gang and its subordinate minor league gangs and gang leaders in Germany, France, Britain, and so on. The Zelensky gang would be long broke if it had not been bailed out and is still being kept on life support by the U.S.-NATO Gangster Association. The U.S.-NATO gang does the funding and the Zelensky gang does the actual fighting, the shooting and the killing in a joint war against the Putin gang. The U.S.-NATO gang pays for the war against the Putin gang essentially in the, form, in the form of money that it can ultimately print up. And Zelensky and his gang do the nasty and dirty job. That is, they pay for the war in the form of conscripted lives from, from the outset of the war. Males from age 18 to age 60 were prohibited from leaving the territory except, of course, for special gang leadership friends and family. Uh, the oligarchs in Ukraine could, of course, go to the West. In the meantime, uh, the compulsory conscription in the Ukraine has gone so far that they pick up kids from the street and people in the age of 60 will be drafted in, into the war. As a result, there are about almost 700,000 deserters, Ukrainian deserters living in Germany, and the Ukraine demands that Germany and other European countries where these deserters have gone deliver the deserters back to the, back to the Ukraine. Um, and have said if they don't deliver them back to the Ukraine now, later on, if they have won the war, which they expect, of course, still to do, if they won the war and these people want to return to the Ukraine, they will be punished for their desertion, which means these people will, of course, not go back there, but will stay in Europe and stay on the dole, as most of them do up to this day any, anyhow. Now, how, in view of this constellation, is a libertarian to position himself? Now, the answer I gave last year still holds today, I think. Faced with interstate war, that is, wars between rival gangs sustained by taxation, confiscation, and conscription, a libertarian should stay neutral. For a libertarian living outside the actual war zone, from the perspective of a German or an American, for instance, neutrality means that you do not give active support to either one of the warring gangs. You do not financially or otherwise aid the Zelensky gang or the Putin gang, and you strictly oppose that your own national ruling gang, whether in Germany or in the United States, uses its, that is, German or American taxes, confiscations, public goods, and funds to prop up the Zelensky or the Putin gang. Moreover, a libertarian would also oppose the use of any and all so-called public goods or funds 
for the free accommodation of refugees from the war zone. Because to do all this would be a positive contribution toward the cessation of the mass shooting and killing and the ultimate goal of peace. In distinct contrast, to do otherwise, that is, to donate personal funds to the Zelensky gang or the Putin gang, or to encourage your own domestic gang leadership to send public funds to one of the warring parties, or else to help the Zelensky gang or the Putin gang reduce its own cost of war by providing free accommodation for all of the gang's runaway refugees in other countries, ruled by other protection racketeers and with other people's public funds, all of this is unbecoming of a libertarian and would rather qualify you as some variant of warmonger, whether knowingly or unknowingly. Now, the number of Ukrainian refugees in Western Europe is about 5 million, that might be even higher in the meantime. Uh, having them fed and housed by public funds in the West, the Zelensky gang has successfully externalized a significant part of the cost of its war onto some other non-combatant population. And the war accordingly will be lengthened. On the other hand, the public accommodation of Ukrainian refugees in Russia, those are about three million people who emigrated to, went to Russia instead, um, is to in increases the cost of war for Putin because he somehow has to, this, his gang somehow has to support now these three million people that were previously living someplace else. And that would, as far as he is concerned, tend to shorten the war. Now to wit, all these strictures that I just mentioned, um, that is the libertarian neutrality vis-a-vis -vis rival gangs uh, warring somewhere away from home, does not exclude various private initiatives and interventions. A libertarian with his own means may engage in humanitarian and charitable efforts in support of Ukrainian or Russian refugees, for instance. He is allowed with his own means to help people escape the country so as to evade conscription and war. As a private party and on his own account, every libertarian would be allowed to transfer funds and materials to private parties resisting or residing in the war zone. Indeed, at the urgent urging of private owners in the war territory, and at his own risk, a libertarian may even relocate there and help such owner directly in the safeguarding uh, and protection of his private property from confiscation, depredation, and destruction in the ongoing war whether from the defensive or from the offensive side. Now, I did not consider the matter from the other inside perspective before. But for a libertarian residing within the war territory, that is, within the Ukraine, the position vis-a-vis -vis the two fighting domestic and foreign gangs should be likewise a neutral one. Staying neutral under war conditions, however, is a far more difficult thing to do. During war, your life and property is threatened from two sides. The Zelensky gang may conscript you or have you killed. It may requisition or confiscate your property or even have it destroyed. And it may freeze your accounts all in the name of national defense, or else the Putin gang may come and capture you and kill you and conquer your property or destroy it, all in the name of national liberation. As a libertarian, what are you to do and what are you not to do in this unenviable, horrible situation? 
Put briefly, you should stay away from both warring parties as far and as long as the circumstances allow. As a libertarian, you do not volunteer your resources, your manpower, or your ingenuity to either one of these dangerous warring parties. And gang mandates, to the contrary, think of conscription, are evaded if at all possible. Your personal interest in the protection of your own life, property, and well-being is something very different from the interest of the domestic or foreign gang leadership in the protection or liberation of its national turf. Indeed, both interests may be completely contrary and bound to clash. The protection by the Zelensky gang of its territory against the Putin gang's invasion, for instance, may, and indeed does in many cases, involve the confiscation, depredation, depreciation, and devaluation, or even the destruction of people's life and property. Collective security and national defense, that is, are actually incompatible with and indeed contrary to private security and private defense. It is something entirely different. As a libertarian living and locked up in Zelensky gangland then, and faced with an invading Putin gang that has in store for you another collective security deal, you try to stay equidistant from both parties, you avoid provoking either side, and you listen and are always open to talks with both sides. Moreover, wherever you happen to reside, at your home base, you concentrate on the provision of your own personal, private, and local, rather than any national or collective security. And insofar as possible, you promote the decentralization of decision-making. That is, you advocate making the decision of when and how to conduct war an increasingly local and ultimately private matter so as to delimit and to reduce the cost of war. As a matter of fact, the population of the Ukraine is anything but homogeneous. A large part in the east and in the south, all the way to Odessa, was culturally Russian. With local and regional decision-making, many places in these regions would have peacefully surrendered to Putin's gang and thus been spared the ravages of war rather than being defended by Zelensky and his gang uh, and having everything destroyed in the course of it. One gang rule would have been replaced by another. Both gangs rank similarly high in the corruption department. Both Russia and Ukraine are extremely corrupt places. They rank very closely in any type of ranking that you, that you can see. Everyone around there is used to corruption anyhow. The change would not have been utterly dramatic, I'm sure. Yet Putin Russia, since the collapse of the Soviet Union and the disintegration of the Soviet Empire in 1991, has actually far outperformed the Ukraine economically. Um, if you look at GDP per capita, uh, of all formerly parts, former parts of the Soviet Union or of the Warsaw Pact countries, uh, no country performed worse than the Ukraine, um, indicating the level of corruption. Uh, Russian GDP per capita is three or four times as high as it is in Ukraine, the Ukrainian capita, uh, uh, GDP per capita is lower than Bulgaria, which is the, the lowest country in the European 
uh, Union uh, ranks even below Albania. So when people present the view that Ukraine is a Western country and a glorious example that should be imitated, this is just, this is just BS. Uh, there is nothing to it whatsoever. So Russia has performed more successfully. This does not mean that it is a great place or anything like this. But it is more, it's more productive and wealthier on the average than is the Ukraine. Um, so why not for some of these people that speak Russian are close to Russian, why not opt for Russia, as many would have done? Um, other regions or localities may have negotiated a truce or worked out some sort of neutral position in between the rival gangs and so avoided the bloodshed and the destruction that is actually going on. Still, others may have fought the invading Putin gang with other weapons and by different means. That is, for instance, by peaceful resistance. That none of this has happened or is happening, that is, that there is no decentralization in the command structure and there are accordingly no regional or local peace initiatives, compromises, or arrangements that would bring about a progressing piecemeal delimitation of the territorial size of the actual combat zone is entirely due to the ongoing financial and material support than the, that the US NATO gang leadership is sending directly to Zelensky and his gang. Now before this background then, where from a libertarian point of view lies the errors and the deviations from a methodological individualism and the retreat to the methodological holism or collectivism that alleged libertarians, in particular from Eastern Europe, commit with their various criticisms and complaints against the analysis that I presented. For one, it would be a fundamental error for a libertarian living in the Ukraine, for instance, to ask for more support for the Ukraine from Germany, America, Britain, and so on. Because, strictly speaking, there is no such thing as Ukraine, Germany, or America. But rather, there are gangs or protection rackets running the Ukraine, running Germany, and running in America, and there are Ukrainian, German, and American people residing in the territories run by these gangs. So to ask for the gangs running America or Germany, for instance, to send money or material to the Ukraine is unlibertarian from the get-go, because neither of these gangs is the legitimate owner of whatever they are sending to the Ukraine. And it would be an even greater error if any of such help went directly to the gang running the Ukraine rather than the Ukrainian people. A Ukrainian libertarian should not criticize the lack of German or American support, but ask for less and of a different sort than what the Ukraine has actually been getting because much public support for the Ukraine comes in the form of propaganda spread uniformly and continuously all throughout Germany, America, and so on by the US-NATO gang alliance in close cooperation which with its subservient paid or subsidized, subsidized associates and friends in the mainstream media. What is their propaganda message that you hear all throughout Western Europe and in the United States. The propaganda message is the events in the Ukraine are not a regional gang war that is of no concern to us, but they are the titanic clash of good versus evil. The good Ukraine, all Ukrainians, is raped by evil Russia, by all Russians, and hence any German or American support given to the Ukraine is support for the good, and any slacking of such support is support of evil.
collectivism grounded in ideological righteousness is substituted here for and presented as sober analysis. Now any libertarian should see through this charade immediately. The Ukraine, as much as Germany or America, is made up of a gang running and controlling some territory on the one hand and the people residing in this territory on the other. The Zelensky gang is not the same thing as the Ukrainian people. A Ukrainian libertarian cannot possibly support handing his domestic gang leadership even more power than it already has, and it has tremendous amount of it. But that is precisely what he is getting as a result of the U.S. NATO gang propaganda and the elevation of the Ukraine to the world historic battle, battleground of the fight between good and evil. As a result of this moral uplifting, the Zelensky gang is to become increasingly aggressive and oppressive vis-a-vis -vis its own people. I mentioned before that the draft in, in the meantime includes children and uh, people older than me. Um, a regional conflict is construed and portrayed as a global crusade necessitating a universal call to increased militancy, belligerence, arms and armament. To prevent this progressing slide toward totalitarian gang rule, a Ukrainian libertarian should counter the U.S. NATO propaganda with the truth. Rather than stay silent, he should, to the extent that such a thing is still possible, and I must say that all opposition parties in Ukraine have been outlawed, uh, all open some of the opponent, some opponents have been uh, have been killed and eliminated. They are not doing anything else that Russians do too. Uh, I'm not again. I'm not defending here. I'm, I'm not criticizing only the Ukraine. I know that in Russia the same things are happening with uh, enemies of uh, of the war. But we should be aware of the fact that this goes on in the Ukraine, just just as well. Uh, rather than stay silent. Ukrainian libertarians should, to the extent that that is still possible, let it be known to the outside world that the Zelensky gang is by no means good and noble, but through and through corrupt and increasingly totalitarian, and as such does not deserve any support whatsoever, in the very same way and for the very same reason that the Putin gang does not deserve and does in fact not receive any support. Moreover, he should recognize and let it be known that the greatest harm done to the Ukrainian people in terms of death and destruction is the result of the all-inclusive support coming from the U.S. American gang, the world's most powerful gang of all. Without this support, the Zelensky gang and the rival neighboring Putin gang would have long ago reached an armistice and come to some compromise peace which could have saved many lives and much of real estate. But the U.S. gang is in this endeavor not for the sake of the Ukraine or the promotion of the good, of course. Rather, it is in it in the pursuit of its own ultimate goal of global hegemony and the supremacy of the U.S. paper dollar as global reserve currency. And the war in the Ukraine then is actually a war between the US gang and the Putin gang with the Ukraine and the Zelensky gang filling merely an instrumental role. That is as a means, a maneuverable man mass if you want, toward the end of defeating the evil Putin gang. Now the Putin gang is one of the only two major stumbling blocks remaining on the way toward global hegemony, next to China, of course. However, the Putin gang is heavily armed and, as the U.S. gang, also an atomic power. It cannot be brought down by military means without the risk of self-destruction. It can only be defeated economically 
by driving it into bankruptcy and economic ruin. The Ukraine war and the various economic sanctions directed against Putin Russia are supposed to do precisely this, to weaken and ultimately bankrupt the Putin gang, economically and financially, and if this requires mass killings and the mass destruction of Ukrainians and the Ukraine, so be it. The ultimate goal of defeating the evil Putin gang justifies such means. For the US gang, bankrupting the Putin gang is worth sacrificing all of the Ukraine if necessary and raising the specter of a World War III. Importantly then, a libertarian in the Ukraine would have to warn about and advise against any support coming in particular from the US gang and to expose such support as a poison pill that it is. And more generally, he would strictly oppose the simplistic worldview espoused by many so-called liberals from territories formerly until only 30 years ago, part of the Soviet Union or the Soviet Empire and the Warsaw Pact, such as the Baltic countries or Poland, for instance. In their view, Russia and the Russians are the collective enemy, plain and simple, and America and the Americans are seen as a collective savior. For a libertarian, any such simplistic and collectivistic worldview is out of the question because he recognizes the fundamental distinction between the people on the one hand and the ruling gang or the state on the other. And he recognizes that this distinction holds and should be made and applied everywhere in America with the Biden gang no less than in Russia with the Putin gang. And what happens about, but what happens about private support then? Or more precisely of private to private support. Is there any reason for a Ukrainian libertarian to complain about a lack of such support from Germans and Americans and so forth? Now, first off, such support surely exists. Quite a few Germans, for instance, accepted Ukrainian refugees into their private homes and maintained them there at their own expense. Some such private support might even have been crowded out by the lavish public support offered by Germany's ruling gang. That is, there might have been even more private support forthcoming if the ruling gang had not essentially preempted and arrogated the role and function of primary, primary giver and charitable giving to itself. Yet in any case, without public support from the ruling gang that is based solely on the level of private charitable activity, the number of Ukrainians currently accommodated in Germany or Poland, for instance, would certainly be far smaller than it actually is. And this number would have dwindled still further the longer the war dragged on and the higher, accordingly, the cost of hospitality for a German, Polish citizen and so forth to host Ukrainians. Recall that less Ukrainians housed and fed by other people means that the cost of war for Zelensky and his gang is increased and the prospect of peace negotiations are correspondingly advanced, improved. Yet it appears quite normal that people are more charitable when confronted with the immediate results of an emergency, such as a war, an earthquake, or a tornado, especially if such emergency happens close by. And it also appears quite normal that a donor's willingness to, to do charity wears increasingly thin the longer the duration and unlingering of the emergency, with no back to normal being inside. So there's nothing to complain about this type of behavior either. Apart from this, why should a German or an American 
and so forth care about the Ukraine or even actively support the Ukraine with his own private funds unless of course he had family, friends or business relations or associates there. In which case everyone whether in Germany or America was free to give whatever support he wanted to give to his Ukrainian connections. Any lack of private support here is solely result, the result of the war which renders all of Ukrainian business more risky and depresses the overall level of production, trade and investment. To increase such support flowing into Ukraine, the war must be ended because business requires peace. There is nothing wrong or unusual here either. And what to expect of Germans, Americans and so forth without any Ukrainian or Russian ties? Which is the overwhelming majority of all Germans and Americans. They do not know any Ukrainians and they are not personally invested in the Ukraine. If they care about the events in the Ukraine at all, and many do not care one way or another, then the best of outcomes a Ukrainian libertarian could hope for is a widespread public call for peace and a return to normal, to business as usual. Unfortunately, however, that is not the support a Ukrainian libertarian is getting. And in this regard, he would have a valid point of complaint against the West. The support he is actually receiving is in the form of foreign German or American or British public opinion. Even Germans, Americans and so forth, without any personal or commercial investment in the Ukraine, may still have an opinion about what is going on there and they may give public expression to this opinion and their preferred outcome of current events. And while this is nothing but words, public opinion still, whether in Germany or in America, can still have a profound effect, not just at home, but also abroad, also in what happens in the Ukraine itself. Now public opinion in Germany and in America and most European countries regarding the Ukraine is by no means uniform, of course. There are many opinions floating around, but throughout all lands controlled by the US-NATO gang alliance, one opinion dominates and overshadows all others. The already mentioned opinion about the fight between good and evil taking place in the Ukraine. This interpretation allows the Ukrainians to claim victimhood and to relish in the role of victim, while at the same time clamoring for and even demanding help and assistance, assistance from everyone and everywhere. Zelensky and his gang champion this interpretation, of course, and they act accordingly impertinent. I would, cannot call that behavior of Zelensky anything else but impertinent. A libertarian must impose, oppose this interpretation and, the, and resist this temptation that it entails to always feel as a victim. However, although small in numbers and relegated to the fringes of public discourse, there are also voices in Germany and American public opinion, for instance, that a U Ukrainian libertarian could find inspiring and supportive of his own pursuits. Voices with which to align and to which to lend additional support. He should draw inspiration from and align himself to voices that call for immediate peace talks with the Putin gang and in particular also with Putin himself. After all, he is the leader of the gang. He must deal with reality as it is. And that insists on distinguishing strictly between Putin and his gang on the one hand and Russia and Russian people on the other. He should seriously consider voices that advocate 
regional secession as a way to bring about peace. This would reduce the territorial size of the Ukraine and as such naturally be opposed by the Zelensky gang. But why defend a territory whose residents do not wish to be defended? Why carry war to places that prefer to stay out of it? Only a collectivist or a nationalist could possibly oppose this option of secession. Moreover, he should seriously consider even the possibility of regional surrender as a viable path to peace. There may be regions whose inhabitants do not care whether they are ruled by the Putin or the Zelensky gang, or who even prefer the Putin gang, and who are willing to peacefully surrender in order to be spared the ravages of war. Why not? Must we wage war against such people as traitors or Russian collaborators? As a libertarian, I fail to see it. Now, indeed, if Germany, for instance, were invaded today by any one of its nine neighboring countries, and any of the gangs presently running, let's say, Austria, Denmark, the Netherlands, or France, for instance, was trying to oust and replace the German government, I, for one, couldn't care less. Given the intellectual and moral caliber of the present German government, or rather, given the breathtaking lack of intellectual and moral competence or qualification of these leaders, you remember this is all satire, it is, dif <laughs> it is, it is difficult to imagine how matters could possibly get worse under foreign rule. An invasion may even bring some benefits or improvements. Who knows? Yet in any case, as for myself, any such invasion would be no reason for me to get out the gun and go to war. Faced with superior force and centrally concerned with the protection of everything mine and dear to me, I would peacefully surrender to any Austrian, Dutch, Danish or Swiss invaders rather than fight them in a collective war of Germany against Austria, Denmark, Switzerland or whatever it is. And in doing so, I would not become a traitor to my country or a collaborator of a foreign power. Rather, with my surrender, it is German lives and German property which otherwise might have been destroyed or expropriated that are actually saved and preserved. I would do something good for my country. Last but not least, a libertarian, whether in the Ukraine or elsewhere in the former East Bloc countries, should take account and draw advice from various dissident Western voices on matters of geopolitics. They point out that the U.S. interests and the European, the, in particular the EU interests, in the Ukraine conflict, not only in the Ukraine but elsewhere also, and that just these interests are by no means identical. The various ruling gangs in Europe still submit to the supreme command of the U.S. gang, but it becomes increasingly obvious that Europe must pay a much higher price for the war than the U.S. That is, the war strengthens U.S. economic power vis-a-vis -vis and relative to European and in particular to German economic powers. This does not make for a stable alliance, especially not if it is discovered that the deliberate destruction of the North Stream pipeline that was a terrorist attack on the energy supply of all of Europe was planned and executed by the U.S. gang or in close cooperation with it. The alliance may well break up eventually as a result of such conflicting interests and of such evidence, and the erstwhile European vessels may dare to pursue their various own interests eventually. Moreover, this tendency is further strengthened by the fact that the role of the U.S. dollar as a global reserve currency has come under increasing attack 
as a result of the U.S.-NATO gang alliance's sanctions against Putin Russia. The international trust in the safety of U.S. dollars and dollar deposits has been severely shattered. And in reaction, Putin, Russia, and the China are in preparations to establish an alternative currency backed by a basket of commodities, including gold, but not as would be immediately instilled trust backed by gold alone. I'm somewhat skeptical that they will manage to get this plan through because no government likes to give up control over the money supply, what they would have to do if they have even the tiniest uh, uh, tying back to a gold standard. But nonetheless, that the role of the US dollar as an international reserve dollar is definitely in decline. Um, and with the role of the US dollar as international reserve currency diminishing, much of the economic power that the U.S. gang seemingly had before now turns out to be an illusion and simply evaporates. There is simply less money left over than for the U.S. gang to throw around and exercise and uh, use his economic weight around in foreign places. Finally, libertarians, especially from Eastern Europe, are reminded to recognize some elementary facts about world geography and the geographical distribution of manpower and economic resources. Based on this data, a close cooperation between Europe and especially of Germany and Russia is and has been for a long time eminently sensible from an economic point of view for the various ruling gangs as well as the subjects in those countries. And regardless of the final outcome of the current violent conflagrations in the Ukraine, the geoeconomic constellation and incentive structure will not have significantly changed. Hence, notwithstanding U.S. opposition, it can be expected that the economic relationship between Europe, that is the EU in particular, and Germany in particular, on the one hand, and Putin or post-Putin Russia on the other hand, will eventually, in the not too distant future, be normalized again. A Ukrainian or Polish libertarian then is called upon to develop a vision regarding the role of a post-war Ukraine or post-war Poland within this largely intractable constellation of geographic and economic data and incentives. And this vision, I venture to say, should be that of a neutral Ukraine or neutral Poland, that is, of an Eastern European Switzerland, independent, outside of both NATO and the EU, and yet wealthier as a neutral country, wealthier than any and all of its neighbors. This is what was possible at the very beginning of these conflagrations. All that was asked for from the Americans and the Western countries was Ukraine should stay neutral, autonomy, some sort of autonomy should be given to the eastern provinces that speak predominantly Russian, and then the whole thing would have been over. Uh, at the beginning, at the very beginning of the war, this solution was in the making and was then prevented by intervention from the Americans, and in particular also by Boris Johnson, who played a particular evil role in commanding, basically, the Ukraine, no, no peace talks like this. You have to go on with the war. I'm sure that at the end of this, the Ukraine will have suffered tremendously. Hundreds of thousands of people will be dead. And what they will get in the end is far less than what they could have had at the very beginning if they simply had ignored the advice, the pressure coming from the United States and from Britain in particular. 
Now the whole thing will end badly and it all could have been avoided. Thank you very much. Uh,